So we are live for Coach's Corner, episode 13, with Coach Joe Ken, Big House Power. Thank you for joining us, sir. Appreciate you guys having me. So the developmenter, uh, developer, sorry, of the tier system, and uh, we will just have you explain that for those that are listening, um, how you came about it and uh, how you started implementing it. Well, it's funny because your background's volleyball, and that was uh, one of the sports I started with in 1991. I think the biggest thing that people need to understand a little bit, too, is uh, when you do, I think it's important to research the history of uh, some of the older strength coaches like myself, because what you'll find is in this era of uh, what I call sports-specific strength coaching in the college and university settings now with the the importance of the role and how much a coach wants their own person to do one sport. Uh, people forget that this was, this profession was really formant. It, it started as a football deal and graduated to an all sports deal. And now it has cycled through to being a sports specific deal as a lot of sports have their own strength coaches. But when I started in college, I was in, uh, I was given the, uh, the uh, what's the best way to say it? My I, when I was given my responsibilities, my responsibilities were pretty much to oversee the Olympic sports, which at that point in time they were called non-revenue. That's how old I am, and then that was a term that people started not to like. So now they they change it to the Olympic sports, but it actually evolved because of a discussion I had when I first arrived on campus with the women's basketball staff at Boise State. And back then, a lot of things were changed. You know, it was still in its infancy, strength and conditioning. It had been around for probably, let's see, when I got to Boise State, uh, legitimately about a decade, I would say, where it was really something where the NSCA had started and people were starting to figure out that this was a profession. Mm -hmm. And But what was happening, uh, it was still dominated by football. And as more sports saw the benefits of what the football team was doing, they wanted to get involved. And what what used to happen was you pretty much, if you took another sport on, they just got a old football program. And some coaches were not keen to that. And I think that was an era, too, where they were talking about sports specificity and you can make these sports-specific weight programs and that's a fallacy if you look at each sport and the athleticism that's needed you're going to see a tremendous amount of similarities there are some specialty exercises that can get thrown in but for the most part you're going to do some variation of a of a squat a hinge upper body press upper body pull and things like that so when i first met with the women's basketball coach at boise state june doherty she wasn't like berating me, but here comes another, you know, ex-football player who's going to run her program. And it's like, here we go again. And she just said, I'm just tired of getting the old football programs. I wanted, I want something more for my team. And I took that to heart because I went into strength and conditioning because I love the weight room and I love the training aspects. I could have easily have been an offense or a defensive line coach but I thought I had a greater value to the athlete and to teams if I had a greater role than just a specific position group. Mm -hmm. So I took that to heart and I was well-versed even at an earlier age in the different modalities and programming that were out there. And a lot of it was because of my experience from my high school coach, because we were one of the very few teams in New York and specifically Long Island who had organized strength training year round. And I was familiar with HIT training because of my relationship with my college strength coach, because we were HIT. And I had uh, familiarities with Dr. Ken Leisner at the time, because he played at my high school and was, I think, three years younger than my dad, who played at my high school, as did my high school coach. So there was a lot of ties to strength training and different modalities. And back then there was a huge differentiation between the high intensity crowd and the typical four day split crowd. There wasn't very many people doing a three day program based off of Olympic movements, powerlifting movements and bodybuilding movements. If you want to say it that way, it was generally 
If you lifted three days a week, you were HIT doing predominantly machine-based. And if you were a four-day, you were doing what the standard workouts were at that period in time. And there was a lot of uh, infighting and strength and conditioning at that time. But because of my awareness of that, there were a lot of great things that HIT can bring to the forefront when you look at how it's laid out. First of all, it's laid out in a whole body manner. And if you look at athletics and you look how sports played outside of the uh, special, uh, you know, the Paralympic games and things like that, but most of the athletes that we, that we deal with are going to do things from toe to head. And when you look at it from that standpoint, and we're talking about developing programs that have the metabolic demands or the similarities in some types of training transfer to athletics that has merit to me because I've never seen an athlete go out and be told on this play, you can't use your hands and this play, you can't use your legs in the sports that we coach. Right. right. Obviously we've seen now with the advancement of technology and what we're seeing in the, you know, the Paralympic games and, and those that have uh, had serious injuries to limbs, that there's a lot that that's a different type of training in itself. Um, I'm not privy to that. I've not experienced that type of uh, setting yet or an athlete. So I can only speak to the athletes that I've dealt with and they've predominantly been uh, collegiate level and professional team sport athletes. So for me, it made sense to look at what the high intensity modality was. Now it was a little bit different. They, they spoke specifically of choosing movements per body part where I looked at movement from structural standpoint. Plus, I, I didn't necessarily agree with the entire workout being machine-based. If I've learned anything in the last 30 years, and especially my last nine years in the NFL, I think machines as well as isolation movements have gotten a bad rap when it comes to training athletes, but that's a discussion for later on, I guess. So my biggest point was, how can I develop a program or a plan that would benefit these athletes as well as show the coaches that I was willing to study, uh, expand, experiment with a plan more conducive to, uh, one, it was different than the four-day split, right? So that right there made it look like, oh, we're doing something different than the football team. But, it, but in sense... You know, we utilized it right away. So that was 1991. It took me about a full year to figure it all out. So I think the tier system really started the, my second year at Boise State, 1992. And it was implemented right away with women's basketball and women's vo volleyball with tremendous success. I mean, we, we really, really hit. I thought it gave the kids more time for recovery. It, it gave us a way to separate conditioning days, big conditioning days with strength, day, strength, strength days and how to implement speed and agility into that weekly plan just made a little bit more sense. And at that point in time too, uh, I, I did some research from a business standpoint and they, and the, at that point in time, and I think it's changed now because I had checked a few years ago and saw that it changed. But at that point in time, they would tell you that the, the most productive day weekday in business was a Wednesday. And I found that to resonate with me since that was the day we were giving everybody off on a four-day split. So it, it made so, it, it just said, well, why would I give somebody a day off on a day that's probably the most productive work day of the week? And that's when we made it a big, we called it Big Squat Wednesday, because even though I believe uh, the total body component of movements is more conducive to athleticism because of the synergistic and the uh, synchronized movement from head to toe of a variation of Olympic lift, we, I, I had still a lot of powerlifting in me and I felt like, all right, we're going to base everything on the squat because I wasn't as keen to the Olympic lifts as Olympic or someone with the Olympic lifting background. So big squat Wednesday became our big deal. Now, if I, if I would have known the, how, how important I think Olympic lifts fits in and I was more capable of teaching it at that time, who knows? It might have been big clean Wednesday and make that the most productive day of the week. But I also felt when you looked at it from a running standpoint and a conditioning standpoint, it was better off just doing the squats on Wednesday 
and not running at all. It just made sense. So I could do speed and agility work, whether it be lateral or linear on Mondays and Fridays, do your heavy conditioning on Tuesday and Thursday when you weren't really training heavy in the weight room, if at all, because let's face it, uh, most of the people who have done four day a week programming and I'm not, uh, and I started that way. So it's, and we've seen a lot of people be successful, but I do think you're doing a give and take on those days where you have your big conditioning days, as well as a big lift. So right. something's going to break, whether it's the lifting for some people and the running for others or vice versa. It's hard to maximize two sessions, even, you know, watch, watch how well, watch how people have had to adapt what two a day practices look like. Right. If you're doing two a days, it's hard to do two monster sessions in one day. It's no different in, in the weight room when you're doing a big strength session followed by a conditioning session. So that's pretty much the, the components are based off of when it's all said and done, it's based off of a whole body principle with the emphasis on structural exercises that hopefully can do things to prepare, protect, and produce a more formidable athlete. So it's based off of the integrity of the program is based solely on choice and order of exercise. I think a lot of times people get caught up with the cycling and we talk a lot about the training cycles. And I made a mistake uh, when I, when I finally get to the finishing of this second edition to the book, or when I teach it now, I have to remind people that the, the thing that I did that I think really hurt the thought process of the tier system was when I said there was a traditional template and an elite template. And really, the, that was based off of uh, cyclical applications, not the tier system itself. The template is based off of choice and order of exercises. Mm -hmm. And that cannot be broken. You can do a lot of things and, and really be super creative outside of the rules that I set for a basic programmer. But the one thing that I, I tell people, if you mess with the choice, uh, excuse me, if you mess with the order of the exercises in the session, then you're not doing the tier system anymore. That's, that's the uniqueness of it is that really structured rotation. How you choose exercises, I do have a, a parameter of way you should think. But as you grow and as you're abilities change and what you understand change and what you believe in when it comes to movement and preparation for the athlete, that, that can be skewed and adjusted based off of your beliefs. For example, I still believe in a bilateral squat movement for the tier one lower body exercise. But if you're a proponent or you follow the beliefs of Mike Boyle, you're going to have some type of rear foot elevated or some type of split squat be your number one tier one. So that changes all the parameters of what the rest of the workouts look like. And that's the great thing about strength and conditioning for athletes. There's just so many things out there. Like I've told, I've told people time and time again, I, I honestly believe that what we do is some of the best programming out there. Is it the only way to win? Absolutely not. That's the thing. There is no perfect program when training athletes. It's so much different than weightlifting, powerlifting, bodybuilding, and now strongman, professional CrossFit athletes. It's just a totally different, it's a totally different realm. And the thing about it is, is because when you talk about those five particular sports, a lot of what they do in competition, their practice field is the weight room. Most of the people we train, their practice field isn't the weight room. And we have to remember that. You know, when you're asking a kid to come in and lift weights after practice, you know, they just practiced, you know, they, they don't really want to come in. So it's a totally different component. Our aspect of training is not, it's not specific. It's not practice. Mm -hmm. It is a way to prepare the body and hopefully improve what a lot of people want to call KPIs or, you know, key performance indicators. And more importantly, to make them resilient and robust and protect them. That, that's the ultimate goal of strength training. And then the conditioning aspect is, again, to build some type of anaerobic and aerobic base that allows them to be able to recover from session to session. Yeah. Um, Coach, uh, you know, a lot of people may not know your background, you know, completely, but 
you coaching high school at one point, private sector, college, and then pro, and then, you know, now you're doing the seminars and stuff like that. Did your training change? Like, say you were talking about the tier centers just now. Has your, did your training change depending on the level of the athlete? Did you still do the same style of tier system with your NFL athletes that you did with your collegiate athletes? When it comes to the order, the, uh, the order of exercises, yes. When it yeah. comes to the exercise choices, absolutely not. And because what you learn uh, when you're at the pro level, it becomes very, very uh, unique in some ways. A lot, a lot of guys can continue to do what would be the standard workout for their position group. But then as that athlete gets older, and I mean older in terms of uh, not just calendar years, but in terms of service and the amount of uh, blows and violence that comes with playing a professional sport, whether it be football, back, it, there's a lot of repetition. There's a lot of wear and tear that goes on with playing a sport the older you get. So you have to be aware of that. So again, we could have a big squat Wednesday in college and you might only see two different squat variations where in the NFL, we may have had five or six variations. Like we had, like we did, we had an athlete who was a, a very good guy for us that he preferred not to do a bilateral squat. He said he would do barbell split squat. So that was his tier one exercise. And then the other guys would front squat, who would do a belt squat, who would do a, a, a back squat, who would do a buffalo bar squat. We used all kinds of different variations. I think that we have to remember now with as much things that are out there that we have to remember that the, the, the sooner you, oh, here, here's one of the things I, I, I don't, I got, I, everybody has their like pet peeves and tangents, right? Yeah. And, and one of mine is, there's a lot of really cool stuff going on out there, right? Especially with bringing in uh, these uh, different types of analytics or whatever you want to call it with like elite form, gym aware, tendo units mm -hmm. and things like that. The fancy flashy stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. and people are bringing them in at younger and younger ages. And what, what happens is, you are exploiting these kids at an earlier age and not going to give them the point of a long-term development. If a kid's already understand, or allegedly, right? Allegedly, right? Mm -hmm. I still, half the kids can't lift weights and they're doing velocity-based training, but their knees buckle in a squat. You know, we can go on and on. And some people are doing it better than others. But my, my thought is, if you open and expose those athletes, all of those at an early age, it's no different than the young athletes who excel before puberty and then puberty hits and then everything switches. The guy who hit puberty first, who was, or the woman who was hitting puberty first, just dominating middle school. And then everybody catches up and now they're at the bottom. It's, it's very similar. The, the kids who are getting exposed to more of the capabilities of training that are out there at an earlier age, they're, go they're going to get stagnant faster. I just think that from an adaptability standpoint, the, the more you expose them at an earlier age, the harder it is for them to adapt and to be continue to build improvements on themselves when they get older. It, it's going to take a very, uh, very unique coach to understand their backgrounds and know that at some point in time, you may have to change things earlier than you had hoped when you had this athlete because they've been exposed to a lot of things. Now, on the other hand, you could say, well, they've never been exposed to you. So regardless, there's going to be something that they do that is, that is different and you may have to start all over. I think the biggest, to me, the biggest thing that I'm more concerned of is the, we're, we're introducing all these types of technologies to the younger athletes, but are you focusing on what, what it looks like? Because I know with college kids in Attendo, you could look at some of the most uh, irreplaceable technique you could ever see. You talk about corrosive technique when you're chasing a Tendo number on a dynamic effort day. It's almost, it's almost, it's almost like, why are we doing this? Right. Like, why are we even wasting our time? Because, and that, and, and, and remember, some of that's on the coach. 
because that means that from a preparation standpoint, under preparation falls education. I don't know, maybe we're not doing a good enough time of educating them on what it means to be dynamic. Hey, I have, and the one thing I'll always tell anybody is I can speak to a lot of things because I saw it in my own weight room and it, and it happened under my watch. So I'm not just saying here to berate coaches about what's going on. I've seen it happen. I've seen power reverse curl, jumping jack, clean catches when I've been the head strength coach. I've seen, you know, a dynamic effort squats where a guy's bouncing off a box because he thinks that's going to make him go faster. I've seen guys catapult barbells off their bench, off their chest to get a fast speed on a tendo on dynamic effort day to come in the next day with black and blue marks on their ribs. So it's not, I'm not telling you this because I think I'm some tremendous coach. It's happened in my weight room. Uh, I'm, I'm old enough and I, and I don't, and I care to share that because I think a lot of people, a lot of people want to talk about all the good things, right? But they don't really want to share what's really yeah. up. That's what's really up. I mean, you know, when you do dynamic effort, if we're going to follow the, the, the rules of the lay of the land, a lot of it has to do with breaking the concentric eccentric chain. And you see these guys talking about, oh, I got 2.0 on a dynamic effort squat. Well, they're short in the depth, whatever. And again, I don't like to judge depth because I don't know what each coach believes, but they're short in the depth. And they're not, and they're not pausing. So it's a little bit of different things. Everybody has their different beliefs. I mean, you can get in caught into some traps on on social media now that I try to stay away from it. I answered something the other day, and sure enough, somebody hit me back, and I go, "This is why I stay very neutral on social <laughs> media because I can't really say what I want to say." Uh, at one, I'm not going to disrespect somebody's opinion. One. Because I have strong opinions, very strong opinions, but it becomes it becomes a uh, pissing match, and then there's a lot of people on social media that don't have any experience except what they've read or heard. So I, I have no time for that. Uh, I'll, I'll respond to certain things certain ways, but a couple of buddies of mine will always say, "You gotta, you gotta respond," and I'll I'll be like, "No, but here's what you could you could respond, and this is what you should say." Because I can't, I don't, I don't prefer to say it. I, I hold, I hold myself in a, I, I, I have, you know, obviously you're on a professional team. You can't, you can't cause, cause any type of strife on social media. And now in the role I am in, you got, you have to watch the professionalism, right? Mm -hmm. You can't, yep. you can't go out on attacks. I mean, you're, you're somebody whose title has education in it and you can't be ripping people's opinions so it's better off to, you know what, not even, not even address it and let, and then laugh behind your, your Twitter name when everybody else is going crazy on it. Yeah. So, especially so even, even with the, the tier system uh, with, within the NFL, uh, my, my big question is I know with different programs, uh, my, the one that I researched was the Steelers and they would take how many snaps uh, O-line, D-line would take how many plays, um, so on, so on, so on, you know, how long they were on the field and they would adapt their lift accordingly. Some, maybe some, some of them would take off Monday or someone do less intensity. Um, how did you, or did you, you know, regulate the tier system to that with the Panthers? Yeah, that, that's all to me. That's all auto-regulated. I mean, we, yeah. we would look at snap counts. We would know who played uh, a lot of our, like, for example, a lot of our younger offense and defensive linemen who made the 53 oh, uh, coach Rivera was great that he wanted them guys doing more. They did the practice squad workout. Okay. So there was, so we, we would have we, 10 people on a practice squad, but we might have 16 to 20 guys in that program. Okay. Cause a lot of the younger guys who were out and then your, your, what I called your super vets 10 years and plus, that's just a lot of communication. And like you said, we were a Monday, Wednesday program. Yeah. We did have players who chose Tuesday, very much a handful. What, and then you learn as people play. Uh, one of our guys, I mean, most of you guys know, and I, I don't think he'll mind me saying his name, Christian McCaffrey, you know, that guy plays a lot of plays. 
And what we found out, you know, his rookie year, he, he split time. So it wasn't that bad. But the second year when he was the guy, we wound up moving his Monday workout to Tuesday during the year because he was just, you know, it was a harder, it was, a, it was harder for him to recover from the amount of work that he did in the game. So then going into his third year, my last year with him, we automatically knew there wasn't, there didn't need to be a discussion. We just knew he was coming in on Tuesdays. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't lift on Mondays and he would lift Tuesday, Thursday. And then as the year went on, we just auto-regulated. I mean, if we had to push it back another day because he wasn't ready, because at the end of the day in the NFL, there's only one thing that matters is game day. Yeah. It's what can you do to make sure. I, I looked at it like you have, a, you know, a 25-gallon tank of gas. And some guys don't understand when they're really in the training, they want to do more. But you can only do 25 gallons worth of gas work. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So you can't. You, so what happens is these guys come in, they learn some new stuff. Hey, I want to do this, 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 and this. That's fine. I have no issues with working that in, but what are you going to take out? Well, what do you mean? I'm going to, what am I going to take out? I said, you can't go over your threshold. You're already doing this amount of work. You can't add this much more without taking some of the ancillary stuff that may not be as important anymore out. And that's what happens with the vets. A, a lot of vets are extremely proud and they don't want to, you know, they don't want to feel old. It's like, well, I'm not going on the old man workout, you're right? And it's like, it has nothing to do with old man. It has to do with, there's only so much you can do in a week. So that if you think these are more important, that you have to add this in, then what are some of the things we can take out? And that's where in the NFL, and I would probably say most sport, professional sports, uh, I used to say, like, I like to try to be the voice of reason. Like, listen, especially to the guys who are really in tune to what was going on that's the great thing about the NFL guys or probably any professional athlete. They're so in tune to their bodies that they can tell you what, what they need. They may not know the exact exercise. They may not know exactly what they're, they, they're talking. They know what they need. You just got to help them find out how to apply that. If that makes sense. Sometimes they may like house, what would be a good exercise for this? oh, I think you should do these two and then tell me which one you like the best and then we'll move on from there. So a lot of it is auto-regulation. A lot of it too is, you know, just watching practice and making your own determinations from an overall standpoint or if there's a uniqueness, like uh, we had another guy, I don't think he'll let, he don't, I don't think he'll mind me saying his name, Teddy Ginn. Teddy, Teddy was, he had a specific role on our team. He was our punt returner and he ran all the nine routes. And if you don't know what a nine route out or a go route is, that's the straight on the ball snap. You just run as fast as you can right down the field and we're going to launch it to you. So when you're, when you're doing those in practice, well, that's sprinting and Mm -hmm. sprinting is strength training and plyometric activity. So you've got to be aware of that. So he's out there running, you know, 300, 400 yards of full sprints. I'm not going to ask him to go in there and do a massive leg workout. He just did his leg workout. So we'll, we'll go in there and do some cleanup stuff and, and get him ready. And then we get him out. So those are the things that you learn. And it's, and it's a lot easier when you're managing those high level of guys. Uh, the, the, the weeks go extremely fast and you keep a good, you keep a good eye on them. You talk to them in practice, you watch how practice is going. And the same thing with like their workloads. I mean, that's the one thing now what you're seeing with uh with the GPS and the and the data statistical the guys, catapult and everything. Yeah, those like guys those guys are now, you know, if depending on the coach's philosophy, those guys can bring a lot of tremendous information to a coach. Like I heard Nick Saban say on a radio show this year, and it makes sense. You you talk, you know, you hear about Nick Saban and you hear about the way he works his guys and this and that. And he said, you know, for the first time in my career, a coach comes in and says, coach, I think we need to back off. The guys look tired. Well, that's, you know, that's a subjective, right? We're mm-hmm. just, it's our, it's our opinion. Well, now he's got guys that are working in there. Dr. Matt Ray, who I worked with early in the two thousands at Arizona state, he walks in and shows him data, got coach the team's tired. 
And now a guy like Nick Saban can't that he can't overlook facts, right? Yeah. Now it's objective. Have I got those two terms right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Actually, data objective. Yep. Yeah. So, so now he he has formulated a plan based off of you know uh, data, aka you know uh, numbers that they never had before. So you have legitimate things. I think as a team, you know, it's good to watch a load individually. I think there's sometimes we have to be aware individually when we start looking at this data from the GPS and the player loads and, and the volumes of stuff right away. When we see a guy's in a fatigue state, we want to say, okay, we've got to back his, we've got to back his training down. And I think what we might be overlooking is, is he under recovered from the day before? Uh, you know, so like one of the things I would say is a good example could be we play a game on Sunday in the NFL. Monday we come in, we do film work and we do weights and treatment. Tuesday is generally an off day. And we come back Wednesday for a big practice and say after that Wednesday practice, a couple of your vets player loads are really bad. Right. So now you're getting worried like, oh what's going on, man? Did they work too hard? Do we got to back them off tomorrow? Well, then you start to do some research and you kind of see what their day before was. And now these two guys happen to be on daddy duty in the morning, right? So they're the ones cooking breakfast, taking the kids to school, reading to the class. And then they've got a meeting with their marketing exec. And then at night they're going to do something with their foundation. Well, they're under recovered. Mm -hmm. So that we have to be aware of that, right? And that's why I've said sometimes with our vets, Tuesday's not an off day. Tuesday might be one of the hardy working days they're doing. It just doesn't necessarily need to mean it's football related. So we've got to be aware, we've got to be aware of that stuff when we look at the data. It's no different than uh, the one thing I, I laugh about analytics. We've been doing analytics forever as strength mm -hmm. coaches and football coaches and basketball coaches. Now they've just put a cool name to it i mean you guys know if you're in any type of sport you guys are always breaking down things you know what what's what set uh, when this woman plays here right mm. she's gonna do this when this on third and ten we broke down a hundred third and tens 90 percent of the time they're gonna do this well that's analytics you know now they just got these crazy books and they got a lot of different ways algorithms that tell you what to do and when to do it so it's evolved, but we've been doing analytics a lot longer than people think. We just didn't use that term. And that's the, that's the big thing. Like Bob Alejo says it best. When you hear these new terms of training or these new movements, he goes, tell me what it is and I'll tell you what we used to call it. And, and that's kind of, you know, that's a, I love that one, right? It's like, yeah, uh, yeah we're doing a back foot rear delt crazy. Oh, you're just doing uh, rear delt flies. So those are things that evolve, but the biggest thing, and the biggest thing, when if you're with an athlete long enough and you've built a rapport with them, the communication is the key to auto regulation. And when you learn their habits, you can help auto regulate them before they need to tell you about auto regulating themselves. And mm -hmm. these are terms that we talk about as coaches. I don't tell these guys they're auto regulating themselves. I just ask them how they feel. Mm -hmm. How are you feeling today? Did you get enough sleep? Well, you're out late. You don't look good. You didn't practice good. Oh, coach, man, it was a rough night. Okay, well then let's do this today and we get this, let's get this work done here and we get you out of here so you can recover for the game. So with, with like some of the younger athletes and, you know, obviously the, the stress of being a pro is totally different, but with some of the high school athletes and some of the college athletes coming in and they're saying how, well, the demand is so high, you know, do they really understand what the demand really is like and how do you get them? Like as a coach, how have you helped them realize what demand is on their body compared to what they think it is? Uh, well, every, you know, this day and age is a lot different, right? Yeah. And I don't blame it on the athlete. Like they want to say the athletes are soft. Well, we've made them soft. They don't, I mean, soft is an irrelevant term. 
You can't call a football player soft in this day and age because he didn't do two-a-days. They've never been exposed to two-a-days. Right. They don't know what two-a-days is. They don't know what it means. Uh, same thing with all, with all athletes, regardless of the sport. I think they don't understand the demands because they've, not been, they've never been asked to push themselves. Okay. We're very much into a, especially the younger athletes, right? Uh, and again, I'm not saying this because I've watched you guys train the athletes in your facilities. But the private sector has to be careful, right? Because if you demand too much and it gets into that wacky college or high school setting, then you ain't getting that client back and you're losing money. So I really believe that as hard as I train people in the private sector, they would have been trained harder if I was at their school with them. Because it's a different environment, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Not that saying we didn't work hard. Not the same. We didn't get a lot accomplished, but the private sector is a little bit different at the college and high school level. If you're in a facility with them, I think they don't understand demand because they've never been asked. Like I always used to tell people like we do, you know, back in the day when you do the crazy freshman Fridays and you just try to wear people out, I call it stupid hard now, right? Uh, Smart, hard, stupid, hard. That was stupid hard. It was more of a mental test. And I always, but I always told them, I will never ask you to do anything that I don't think you can accomplish. And then looking at what we're doing and they're thinking this, this mother effer really thinks that we can accomplish that. Yes, I do. Cause I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put you, even if it's stupid, I'm not going to put you in harm's way Yeah. because I mean, that's the hypocrisy sometimes of the older models of strength and conditioning was Oh, what's your number one? What's the number one thing you're supposed to do? Oh, we're gonna we're gonna reduce injury, and then the first thing you do, and you don't know their names, is you test them in a one rep max, and you know what I'm saying? And then you do things that just don't make no sense. We gotta break them down today, right, coach? We gotta break them down and build them back up. Well, is that really is that really in the best interest of your team? There's ways to uh, build somebody up, and and we've all done it. Like I've done it, man. I, I mean, I created some of this stupid stuff. I mean. We blew people up on freshman Fridays at Boise State with the things we did. We could, there's no way you could get away with it in this day and age. Even when we were at Arizona State, you can't, you wouldn't be able to get away with it. And that's the, that's evolution of the societal factors that you have to understand as a coach. Uh, You can't train them the way we trained them from that, from that stupidity stand. And I'm using stupidity, but from an irrational thought process of what you thought you were going to break a person down mentally and then build them back. And, you know, the whole, you know, like uh, I, I'm not a big fan of the term mental toughness. It's coach speak, uh, culture, coach speak. I understand it and it's taken me a while to grasp. But, you know, the one thing about having a colleague like Pat Ivey who studies it is he, he has brought it from an, I've always said those two terms are really the sum of numerous adjectives and terms that fit. Because when you talk about mental toughness, what do you hear? Work hard, right? Right. You know, grind. Ooh, ooh, ah, ah, ah. Well, what is so tough about waking up early and showing up for a program? And what's so tough about putting an honest day's effort in, into something? Uh, you know, toughness to me is, uh, you know, watching somebody just walk on, walk down the street and he's pissed off at a guy and he lays a dude out, uh, something I can't do. That to me, that's tough. Like, so to me, I call there's a difference between football tough and street tough. And there's just differences. I'm not street tough. I'm football tough. And, you know, my, my oldest son is street tough. My dad is super street tough or was super street tough. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not. And I'm and I very, and I accept that fact because everybody, oh man, he's a tough guy. And I'll be like, tough guy. I look up and then I'm at my dad. I'm like, they don't, they have no clue what tough is. <laughs> tough guy. So, you know, and the same thing with culture. Culture is a bunch of values, right? Mm-hmm. But so, like Pat, Pat, and I believe culture. Pat said something at a, in a presentation we did a few weeks ago for the NSCA and Gatorade, where mental toughness is a construct, and that's how I am. That's how I am going to present it when I talk about that or if a coach asks me about that specific term because it is the cu- culture and mental toughness are both 
sporting terms that are the construct of numerous values and or adjectives to, to describe what you're looking for in a particular athlete, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I got a question um, about a particular exercise, because I know you talked about like changing things up depending on the level you're coaching on, like you might add an exercise in when you go up to a higher level, uh, you might take an exercise out. So like specifically speaking, talking about basketball, would you do like snatches with someone that plays basketball? Because being as they use their arms for a lot of what they do, would going overhead with heavy weight in a snatch be beneficial for them? Well, here's what, here's what I'll tell you on exercises. I don't think there's bad exercises. I think there's bad application. And I think you really have to think about what the ultimate goal is. Why are you doing the snatch? One, two, first of all, come back to, can you actually teach a dance? <laughs> then, then have you built the athlete resilient? Is he resilient enough or is she resilient enough, robust enough and prepared enough to do an overhead explosive movement? And I mean, did you do the proper strengthening of the shoulder girdle and the shoulder joint in itself in, in standard strength movements like overhead pressing, dumbbell pressing, and then all the cuff work. Did you even put them in a position to be successful on that? That, that, that would be my first part. And that's, that's building out your analysis and your, and your exercise pool. I can tell you that when I got to college, when I started college, we did a lot of snatching. I saw a lot of sublux mm -hmm. shoulders. Uh, when, when I first took over, we still did snatching. And then I stopped snatching all my athletes. And again, remember, we do, what were we doing all the Olympic lifts for in the 90s? Because we thought it elicited an explosive response. Luckily for me, I, I got, when I really got honed in on Olympic-style weightlifting was by a coach named Mike Conroy, who at that time was one of the elite youth weightlifting coaches in the America. And he was the first one that told me, he goes, Joe, remember, you, Olympic lifting is a sport. You just need them to know how to extend. So if you can master the pulls, is there really a necessary reason to catch a snatch or catch a clean? The, that's a question you can ask, right? For me, I chose not to focus on the snatch, even though in some ways it could be an easier teach than the clean. I just felt like I didn't want to put my athletes in excess harm's way with, with that type of movement. I think a clean grip snatch has some merit because it protects the shoulders a little more and it makes you pull even longer. But even then, I only use that sparingly when I teach the clean to learn how to pull through. And so at this point in time, from a, and I know some of the best, uh, excuse me, the best collegiate strength and condition coaches for basketball snatch their athletes. And I've watched them and they don't look bad. That tells me they're investing a lot of time in, in, that, in that proficient exercise and how they teach it. For me, I'd rather just pull them. Uh, my, my number one go-to outside, outside of a clean progression is a snatch grip power pull from the block. Because if you can do that right, you can get a tremendous amount of capability of hip extension. And uh, you know, a lot of Olympic lifting coaches will tell you when the elbow bends, the power ends. But I also am looking to build some upper back musculature too. So I'm okay with when the bar extends, if I still go up into a high pull position to work that upper back and trap, trap area, especially for violent sports like football and wrestling and even some in gymnastics. Because remember, head support is huge. Like uh, That's one thing I'm working on now, an ebook on uh, reinforcement techniques for neck training. But I call it head support. Because really, what are you training? You're training the muscles that support the head. And it's like a tri it's like a it's like a, a diamond shape where you're working from the trap ones into the posterior shoulder and then to traps three and four through the mid back, because that all protects you going up through the spine and into the head. And and I call it reinforcement because what are we trying to do? We're trying to reinforce the strength to support the head. And that's where it comes from. So that's how you have to look at it. You have to look at an exercise and ask yourself, one is their value and what that value is. 
I would I would recommend if you're really into trying to do something, the single arm dumbbell snatch is a great alternative instead of doing the traditional snatch. And then and then you factor that into your pool with a snatch grip power pool, then you're then I think you've got you're eliciting the similar responses that you want from the snatch and you're protecting the athlete in a slightly better way. So you have to look at it from you really got to just it's a thinking process. And you got to ask, I mean, like I said, uh, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Just because, uh, you know, again, and I, and I just was on her, just because Andrea, you watch Andrea Hootie at the University of Texas snatch her athletes, and when she's at Kansas, that doesn't mean you have to do it. Uh, that She's worked at two of the most, well, three now, the most elite basketball programs in the history of college basketball. That athlete's a little bit different than the ones we're dealing with. And so... There's other ways to do it. There, you can do a push press, right? If you're if you're really into going overhead, uh, you can do a push press. You can do a dumbbell push press. You can do a push jerk. So I think there's other ways to elicit that extension response, and it's just a matter of how efficient you want them to be in it, how much time you're invested to teaching it. When you teach a snatch and a clean, you got to invest time. And I know there's people say, "Oh, I could teach a guy how to clean in three days." That's fine. I'm not going to do it that way. I, because what I want to do in my teaching plan is build out this big exercise pool. So if mm-hmm. I teach to if I teach to clean and I use I don't I can't remember right now, but I use six different exercises to get you to do the clean. Well, I'm going to be proficient in six other exercises before you even clean. And some of those exercises may deter me from you cleaning at all based off what the technique looks like especially if you start with a with a older athlete who has wrist wrist and elbow and and shoulder mobility and flexibility issues mm-hmm. oh, that's one thing that we we did in the NFL was very simple if cleans was written down as a primary choice for a movement if an athlete couldn't naturally catch a clean he went right to pulls like there was no there was no debate this is the NFL. We're not going to teach this kid. They cleaned in college. It, it looked like dog poop. And it's, and it, so for us, I don't want dog poop in my, in my, in my weight room anymore. <laughs> I need these dudes to be ready to play football. Uh, you know, I deal with competitive football players, not competitive lifters. So if a kid can't rack it clean very naturally, then he's just pulling. Yeah. I know, uh, I know we're getting closer to the end. Coach, uh, just kind of wrapping things up, what inspired you to be on this path and in going into strength and conditioning? And then is there any advice out there for coaches, no matter if they're collegiate or uh, private sector or whatever, uh, as they're continuing on their coaching career? I, I chose it because I, I love training. I mean, I train five, six days a week, pretty much six days a week on average uh, right now. Uh, I think there's a lot of merit in. I think it's uh, good for long-term health, both mental and physical. For me, it's therapeutic, especially at this 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 point in my life where it looks like my comp my competition days are over. I'm not looking to go wacky crazy with how much weight's in there, but I do want to go in there, train hard, good tempo, good effort, and continue to work on things that may be able to be brought into my athletes programming like right now I do a lot of things like my neck work my posterior shoulder work my ancillary work for the hamstrings all these little small mini workouts or blitz package stuff and and it's important so I I just felt like I had more to I had more to give like I was telling you earlier I just felt like one I love prepper I love the preparation and I just love it. I just love being in the room. I love watching the guys train. I've also had to, you know, you have to learn early on that if you're in the weight room, it's probably because you love it. But most of those people you coach don't love it. And you've got to be aware of that. If you're not, you're going to lose. I mean, I found that out very early on in my first year of college that some of these guys don't love it like you. Some of these women don't love it like you. Uh, the difference between coaching a woman a woman athlete than a male athlete is I think the women are so appreciative more like the male athlete. I think they think it's a given that you're supposed to be doing what you're doing. 
and the and the woman athlete just sees it as a pure appreciation that you care to be involved in their process. And the other thing that's great about coaching women is they're not chasing a number, but they want to do it right. So coaching right. coaching them is the ideal is is some of the greatest stuff. And that's why I tell people today. And my son, my youngest son, is a aspiring strength coach. Is the, it? the era of the single sport strength coach, what I call a sport specific strength coach is here. And I don't know if it's ever going to circle back at the big schools where, where you hired a strength coach and he oversaw or she oversaw the entire programming for all the sports. But what's, what's hampering the younger coach now is because they don't study history. They don't understand uh, the, the wherewithal of what it takes to have a long-term career in this field is they're jumping right into, oh, I want to be a basketball guy, or I want to be a football guy, or I want to be a, a, a basketball woman. I want to be the baseball woman, right? It's a, it's a, you know, the male and the, the women, the population of women strength coaches is at an all time high. The population of strength coaches in general is at all time high in the university sector because of all the jobs that are out there. But it goes, it's very similar to when you hear coaches say, I want athletes who've done or are multi-sport athletes in high school because it gives them a more well-rounded athletic approach. It's no different for a strength coach. I want a strength coach who's coached multiple sports. It's going to make them aware of things and be able to coach different personalities, different people. Uh, different coaching styles by dealing with the head coaches of different sports. And it's going to make them more well-rounded when they choose a specific sport of choice. So if I were to tell a younger strength coach coming up, do yourself a favor, coach as many sports as you can before you specialize. It will definitely be a benefit of you. I feel for the, I said this in a couple of weeks back too. I feel for the coaches who are out there now looking for that first full-time job and they're being asked to have a master's degree when there are no more there where the lack of the graduate assistant programs are now no hardly around anymore because of the number of full-time coaching positions and the, the GA, you know, when I came up, it was automatic. You got a master's because you did a GA. Yeah. Well, now, now the, you know, you may get lucky to do a paid internship and then they tell you to take that money you're making if you want to go to school or not. But most of the time, I mean, it's still crazy. I, I took advantage of it and it continues to go today. The amount of uh, people who are willing to spend 15 to 20 weeks in, a, in an entirely free internship to get that experience, man, it's a, uh, it's a tough one, man. I feel it's for different. Yeah, yeah. So it, the educational capabilities of, people moving forward is changed. So we have to, as a, as a hiring strength coach, we have to be a little bit aware of that. Like, you know, I see these masters required and these young kids are like, well, how am I supposed to get a master's and I'm trying to get experience and all this and that? Because again, when I came up, it was the head strength coach and a bunch of GAs. If you were, if you had a full-time assistant strength job on your, on, or, or at your university, you were big time. Cause there wasn't a whole lot of them out there. You know, it was, if most of the time you're at the bigger schools, it was a head strength coach and four or five GAs. And then it became a head strength coach of one assistant and two or three GAs. Now there's five strength coaches just for football. I mean, that's laughable, but I mean, it is what it is. So I, I would tell them to be very well-rounded. I would tell them to study history. And what I mean of history is know, know why you have a job, know why you have this type of profession understand what coaches came behind you when you read things that are current piggyback and read the things of how they got there i mean everybody wants to talk about undulated periodization go read bompa first go read go read uh, i.e the classics so you have a better understanding of how these things have become much more important or how they've evolved into what we've done but where it starts uh, you have to be aware of that stuff. You have to be aware of the facts that it's tough. Like to to make it in this profession and coach 
you know, I coached what I coached 30, 29 years of university, high school and professional sports out of my 32 or, or 30 or something like that. That's, that's a good run, right? I mean, yeah. it's hard. And, and a lot of people don't get there because the path to getting to that first full-time job is tough. I mean, it's really tough. You, you see some of these resumes come across when they're, when they're applying for their first full-time job and you're like, golly, man, this guy's interned for like four years in a row and may, not making any money. How is he doing this? Or how is she doing this? Or how, why is she still doing it? So there, you just the wherewithal and the commitment that you have to have, I'm sure it's like that in most other professions, right? I mean, remember that Michael J. Fox movie back in the 80s where he wanted to be a big-time businessman, and every time he went in there to get a job, they asked, well, you have no experience. And he goes, well, how am I supposed to get experience and nobody will hire me, right? right. And, that's where you, and that's where you hear a lot of times how all these guys start in the mailroom and they're delivering mail and then, you know, 10 years later, they're the CEO of a company because that's how they had to start. So, I mean, no different than a lot of these guys who are now GMs in the NFL, man. You know, they started out as interns grabbing coffee for coaches and they just kept it up. They just, what they had to wear with all to stay with it. A lot of, a lot of people don't. And the ones who do are usually the ones that prosper and are successful. That was one thing I learned from Coach Stoner when I was an intern. He was like, if you're going to go in this field, you're going to do a lot of free work if you really want to be in this field <laughs> and be ready for it. He's like, he's like, I slept in somebody's basement before and I've had an assistant coach that slept in somebody's basement. He said, but look at them now. They, you know, they're head strength coaches at, say, like Tulsa and, they, you know, the strength staff mafia was such a big group of uh, strength coaches. So they're like all over the place. And PI was at the top. Uh, Dr. Pat Ivy was at the top. So, I mean, if you knew what you were going to do and you did all that free work and you put your time in, you was going to end up where you needed to be. I mean, and again, are you willing to invest? And, and it's, and it's hard, man. Financially, it's hard. Uh, you know, I feel, I feel for those who take out, my son took out a student loan this year because for a lot of reasons, he wanted to compete in six year. He had a COVID year and, he wanted to see it through and he wanted to take an opportunity to transfer out and go somewhere else and use the transfer portal, which is a totally new deal. But he's invested, you know, a, a huge amount in a student loan to pursue a second master's to intern with the with with the Iowa State Olympic sports uh, strength staff. And that's what his investment is. Right. So. You know, everybody's like, oh, yeah, well, your dad's this. His, my, yeah, I'm not doing that guy's got to make it on his own. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, I mean, I can break down some doors for him, but at the end of the day, you got to trade off your own name. And he's learning that and he's doing a good job of it. And I'm proud of him for that because I told him that right away. I said, you don't want to be you. You want to be known as Peter Ken when people ask who you are. You don't want to be introduced as House's son. Because you want to be your own man and you want to set your own standards. And by doing that, that means that you're doing your job as, as being a good coach and you're not getting carried because of the name on the, on the back of the jersey, so to speak. Well, with that, uh, I just want to say thank you again, Coach House, because I know I learned a lot from this one. I know a lot of us were patiently, quietly just soaking everything in. So I really do appreciate it. Yeah. Um, because I know I had a couple <laughs> questions too, like the ones I asked you. Um, well, go ahead and ask, man. I got no. Oh no, those were it. Those were okay. the ones I asked you were it. Because I know, um, haven't heard all, all the different strength coaches from. Obviously, all we all have our different roads we've been on. Um, it's just awesome to hear somebody from that's been to the higher realms of strength and conditioning, kind of put that opinion out there, and just what you've experienced and kind of got everything yeah, I mean, out for us to digest. They're all big. It doesn't matter what age athlete they are. They're all they're all kids, right? Yeah. And I and I've said that with no disrespect to the guys, but a lot of times the guys will say like, "Man, what's it like coaching the NFL?" I said, "Well, really, uh, bigger kids with bigger scholarship checks, really." I mean, yeah. <laughs> because a lot of people say they don't get to grow up. They you know you yeah, I mean, leave college and then you just still just playing. And, and, and more cool. And Hey, more power to him because I would love to do that too. Right. Like I'd love to be a big kid with a big scholarship, <laughs> but uh, yeah, these, but they're good. But overall, you know, there's a thing. Sometimes pro guys get stereotypical and I know that I can only speak for my nine years and I was with one organization, but we had guys who worked hard and remember there's different types of hard. 
There's pro hard, there's college hard, there's smart hard, there's stupid hard, but they worked hard and they knew what they needed to do to be successful on Sundays. And they were just good people. Like I learned a lot. Like I could name, I mean, I could, you know, I could rattle off uh, Thomas Davis, Greg Olson, Ben Hartsock, Dewan Edwards, Tina Tillman, Roman Harper, uh, Jeff Hangardner, Ryan Khalil, Jeremy Shockey, D'Angelo Williams. These are vets that taught me how to be a strength, how to be a good strength coach. Um, these are guys that I would have discussions with just chopping it up when they would train after practice and just listen, especially the guys who'd come from other teams and just listening to what they thought a, a professional strength coach could be. Uh, the, the one guy who I think I probably learned the most for that we had really good discussions was was Ben Hartsock. He'd been with several teams when he got to Carolina and really just helped me understand what, what, it, what it meant to be in the NFL. And like he said, he goes, I played 10 years in the, he goes, I played 10 years in the league house. If you play that long, you can't hide and you don't suck. So <laughs> I made it nine years. So I'd like to think that I didn't hide and I don't suck. So uh, that's the way it goes. Well, we thank you again. And uh, until next Sunday, everyone take it easy. Tune in because we do have a big list of people coming up in the next couple months. So with that, everyone have a good night.